0: time when Iowa voters feel very special. 19 of the 23 candidates in Iowa today.
1: An incredible honor to
0: campaign across Iowa with so many of you. Thank you, Iowa. We love Iowa. Thank you very much. The state of Iowa has spoken. The last time that we spoke with David Redlosk uh, in Iowa, it was August. It was the Iowa State Fair. David was there uh, starting his sabbatical from the University of Delaware, where he chairs the political science department, and he was looking forward to an intense six months of studying the caucuses, which are one of his specialties as a political scientist and a political psychologist. So we're going to talk to him uh, on today's political theater and talk about a little bit what he learned, what happened in the intervening months, and what maybe we can expect uh, as the Iowa caucuses uh, come to us in just a few short days. David, thank you for being on political theater again. You bet. Happy to be here. So, um, you know, we, we have a, you know, we're, we're in single digits, uh, the countdown to the Iowa caucuses. We're also in the middle of an impeachment trial. It's kind of overshadowed everything. I guess the the first question I have before getting into, you know, what, what your thoughts are over the last, uh, several months is how much, uh, of an effect is the impeachment trial having on the, the run-up to the caucuses. We have three people who have been sidelined from being on the trail and Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar and Michael Bennett, although he has sort of shifted. More of his resources towards New Hampshire. What's the what are you seeing sort of on the ground there? Uh, the the impeachment effect, if any.
1: Well, you know, it it the most obvious effect is that the calendar is not just completely packed with candidate events over the next several days. Um, you know, with with really, if we want to count Bennett, four senators uh, away from Iowa, mostly. It's left it pretty much wide open for folks like Andrew Yang, uh, John Delaney, and uh, and of course you know front runners Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden, but it's Yang and Delaney who are kind of all over the place, which is uh, has been kind of kind of an interesting dynamic. Um, Tom Steyer, I should note as well, is doing a bunch of town halls, but you know that's one piece. It's just. You know, a much lighter calendar than I would have expected. More substantively, the challenge for uh, particularly Amy Klobuchar is that she seems maybe to have some momentum, a little wind at her back. We think it matters if the candidate herself be here to uh, uh, you know to get the the troops ready to go and to excite everybody. Uh, and if that's true, it's a much tougher situation for her. To uh, to capitalize on perhaps a bit of momentum,
0: right? We should mention that uh, before you decamped to Delaware, uh, you were uh, at the University of Iowa, and you were also a uh, in, in charge of coordinating uh, in, in Johnson County, I believe it was uh, for the uh, for the caucuses. So you, I mean, you kind of know how these things can can play right. out in these shifts in momentum,
1: right? Right, and and this year in particular. Um, has seen a lot of that uh, movement. Iowa caucus goers, I've never seen Iowa caucus goers so uncertain about what they're actually going to do when they get to the caucus. Um, They're well known for making decisions quite late and our data from prior caucuses suggests that anyway. But there seems to be a ratcheting up of that this time. The, The large attendance that we're seeing at events is is partly committed people, but it also seems to be a surprising number of people who are are still thinking, you know, about two or three candidates. I'll I'll give you uh, uh, an example of that. We were we were doing some survey work at the early in January, so now a couple weeks ago, but at that point, only sixteen percent of the Iowa caucus scores we sampled said they were down to just one candidate. Everyone else had at least two in mind. Um, And I think that's that's a real uh, sign of how fluid everything is and why it may well matter for the folks who can't be here consistently. That they can't.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, at one point in our conversation back in August at the fair, uh, as we were, you know, seated behind one of the corndog stands there by, near the soapbox, uh, you said that, you know, some of the people, you had already been there for a little while, for a couple weeks, and and you said that several people who who you had talked to just said that they just don't, you know, they, they weren't sure what to do with all these candidates, and they weren't
1: sure, you know, wh- where they
0: should go from that.
1: I think voters right now, Democrats right now, of course, anybody you talk to, nearly anybody you talk to, says the most important thing is, is beating Donald Trump. And I think that's partly why they're having trouble making a decision. There are candidates they like on policy. There are candidates they like on personality. Sometimes it's the same person. Sometimes it isn't. But they're really worried about beating Donald Trump. And it's incredibly hard to know, until it's already happened, whether somebody's electable.
0: Even though the candidate list has whittled uh, a bit from, you know, I think at that point we were over more than twenty candidates. Now it's it's a m- much more manageable like crew. But there's you, as as you just said, it seems like there a lot of Iowa caucus caucusgoers are still in the same position where they just don't know. And you've got this clump of front runners all fighting it out. I mean, we could conceivably see a bunch of people just all in the teens uh, for you know delivering kind of a split decision.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's it's very possible I will will deliver a split decision. Part of what's going on, of course, is is um, Iowa's reflecting the Democratic Party writ large. The the issue, you know, the ongoing battle between the left and the more centrist aspects of the party are absolutely on display here in Iowa. You know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren have roughly half the vote in. You know, in the polling, a little bit below it. And Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, and Amy Klobuchar have roughly the other half of the vote. And and they line up kind of nicely on these two different wings of the party. You know, the real battle ultimately, I think, in Iowa caucus goers' minds at this point is um, you know, who to believe? Is it that it takes a centrist to win this thing, to beat Donald Trump? Are voters across the country worried about? Uh, big change and just simply want to return to normalcy, or is it as uh, particularly Sanders, but also Warren argues, time for big structural change, to use Warren's phrase, uh, and that this Trump situation is an opening to bring huge numbers of Americans behind a much more liberal agenda. Truly, that battle over uh, electability is, I think, what's keeping a lot of Iowans I won't quite say awake at night, but certainly trying to make a decision uh, as we come on the caucuses.
0: One of the other things uh, that I recall just listening to the, the podcast that we did uh, back in August was um, you know, Bernie Sanders had just uh, uh, delivered his uh, soapbox moment uh, at at the fair when we were talking,
1: and you and I had a very similar impression. One thing I I thought was really interesting was was my take on Bernie's crowd. He may have had the largest crowd. It was hard to tell between him and Warren. Pete was pretty big, too, today. But I didn't feel the enthusiasm in his crowd. I didn't feel the excitement that I felt four years ago or that I felt for Warren or today, especially for Buttigieg.
0: What I mean it seems that the enthusiasm there for Bernie has picked up a little bit I mean for what polls are worth for the caucuses because it's a very different process um you know the, measuring somebody's vote and measuring somebody's the delegates they'll get from a caucus um it, what what changed with with Bernie you think in in the in these like in these last few months
1: well, I you know, firstly, he really is, at least in my experience, of the events I've gone to for him, campaigning differently than he did four years ago. Um, I rarely remember him doing Q and A four years ago. He would do these very large events and you know give his his rousing stump speech, and that would be it. Uh, I have seen I'm not sure the count. I think it's eight or ten Bernie Sanders events over the last few months, and at most of them. He's done QA. and and at most of them, uh, there's been a lot more engagement directly with voters than, than it looked like there would be if he just carried the 2016 uh, approach forward. Having said that, he is doing better than I thought he would be doing, but at the same time, remembering that he had 50% just about in 2016, there's no evidence right now that he's going to come anywhere close to that. And, and again, a big part is that, Iowans just have a lot more choices this time.
0: Yeah, I I was also struck by the fact that when the trial was underway last week, uh, you know, he and and other candidates dispatched their surrogates. Uh, his surrogate, though, uh, for for Iowa was Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, uh, and it, it seemed just from the media coverage I wasn't there that, but that that was a pretty enthusiastic uh, go round for her and the, and the reception that she got. Uh, it, and and is, have any other surrogates been in that position where they're they're arguably creating more buzz sometimes than the people that who they're
1: stumping for. So I have not seen any surrogate who's gotten quite the attention that AOC has, um, which is not terribly surprising. She's a huge media star, uh, and you know, coming into Iowa, folks are, are naturally curious. But also, the people who do support Bernie Sanders are um, skewed much younger, and of course. Quite liberal in general, and and Cortez is absolutely um, uh, right in their ballpark, as it were. So, wanting to come see her doesn't surprise me. Um, I, I don't know whether those kinds of surrogates actually matter much. It's not, and I'm not sure they convince other you know people who are on the fence to come to the candidate. Uh, but they can be very useful for. You know, getting the troops ready to go, getting everybody excited, enthusiasm is a really important part of getting folks out to the caucus. So even when candidates themselves can come, historically, particularly in the last week, there often have been high-profile surrogates with them. So...
0: In a, in the next couple of days, we're going to know. We hope we're going to know uh, who's going to come out on top uh, in in the caucuses. I mean, it, you know, in twenty sixteen, as as we were speaking a little earlier, it was a, it was a virtual draw. You know, Hillary got forty nine point eight, and Bernie got you know forty nine point six or something like that. We didn't even know until later on who who actually won. You know, the 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 Democrats tried to you know. Update the caucus rules a little bit so that it would be a little easier, you know, to to say like they, you know, this person got this many delegates on this night instead of just people going to a convention and and so forth. Do do you think that the the rules changes as they were uh, are going to clarify things? Because it, it seems to me that in general, since they scrapped the virtual caucus meeting, it's still folks getting together in a community center and And people who support candidates going to one side of the room and trying to get other people to come join them on that side of the room and it, I mean that, that seems like that's not going to change, but it could lead to a somewhat confusing situation, right, especially with so many candidates. Are we in for
1: another long night, you think? I would be surprised if it's not a long night, and there are a couple reasons for that um, One of them is simply that right now the long term weather forecast suggests Pretty good weather for a February in Iowa, which could well
0: <laughs> so so ten degrees is what you're saying.
1: <laughs> well, at least you know a little better than that, but certainly uh, you know nobody's looking for blizzards at this point, and um, uh, that could result in literally massive turnout. The the largest. Iowa caucus to date was the Democrats in 2008 with 239,000 people showing up across nearly 1700 precincts. There's some possibility that this could just blow right through that given the level of interest, the number of people who've been paying attention, you know, what we're seeing in the polling. If it does, um, it's just going to complicate things because the caucuses are these meetings because even with the changes, it's still a process run by volunteers who have to be able to count everything uh, in a matter of, you know, short time in a chaotic situation. But on top of it, if the lines are long, the caucuses won't even start until who knows when in some precincts for the simple reason that as long as you're in line by 7 p.m., you get to sign in in caucus. But I suspect there are precincts where the caucus, it'll take another hour to sign people in. So, so turnout is, is a big player on this. The other piece is the indeterminate situation, at least if the polling's to be believed, you know, in the last two weeks, there've been six polls out, three of them put Biden up six points. Uh, three of them put Bernie up by varying amounts. And there's not a lot of consistency in third and fourth place in those polls either. Um, it suggests that a lot of people are going to make decisions at the last minute, um, the, the the result is because the Iowa Democrats have increased transparency and they plan to release the initial vote, the vote after people get their second choices when their candidates not viable, and the delegate counts precinct by precinct. Um, it just it's a massive task, and I just think there's going to be it's going to be a long time. But I also think there's some possibility of one candidate winning one measure. And another candidate winning a different measure. Yeah.
0: So yeah, and I just wanted to back up just for our listeners. I mean, the way that that previously went is that, you know, say there's a a room full of people, there's, you know, the and and people are caucusing. Well, you're the in order to stay viable, your candidate has to get at least fifteen percent of the people in that caucus, in that particular caucus. And the people who don't hit the fifteen percent margin, they they could go team up with other people. And so one of the, you know, the 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 way that those that that is determined, you know, is, is like people have to be counted and, and that this is what takes, can take a long time too. Um, And the, and, and also the results weren't reported as, as you said, you know, the, the, these real people, like the real numbers will be conveyed the night of previously. It was just these many people will go to a convention uh, that will then do
1: another convention. Exactly. Exactly. And this is, this is really quite different because the delegate counts, are not necessarily directly one-to-one with the vote. And it has to do with the way delegates are allocated. It has to do with turnout patterns. But there can be precincts with massive turnout that don't really get all that many delegates because the delegates are based on how well Democrats did in the last two general elections. Um, So it's very possible. And I think, in fact, had we had this system in Iowa four years ago, would have found that Bernie Sanders had more actual bodies on the ground, but that Hillary Clinton won more delegates. That, that could well happen again this time. And
0: that, that was an argument that the Sanders camp was making is that they, you know, th- their their counts that they were using, which were not the official counts of the Democratic Party, showed that they had more people who were actually caucusing for Bernie, but it wasn't showing up in the round. So uh, it, it was, it, it is, has been interesting. So, so David, like, you know, 1972, the, you know, the the Democrats changed their rules to institute these caucuses uh, so to increase transparency, especially after the 1968 Convention debacle and in, in Chicago, uh, and you know we've been through years where it's super competitive and years where it, it it's pretty quiet. You know either because Tom Harkin, the Iowa Senator, is running, or or there you've got an incumbent running. Uh, is this, from your experience being on the ground and as a political scientist, is this um, is this potentially the most exciting and interesting caucus that you have studied so far?
1: I, it's certainly the most interesting, if only because it started with so many candidates. Everything was so fragmented. And even as we come into uh, uh, caucus night, there remain officially 12 candidates running for president, of the Democratic Party, and at least eight or so actually really contesting here in Iowa. So there are a lot more candidates. There is massively greater interest that I, than I remember, even when I think back to 2008 and the interest that Barack Obama generated. Broadly speaking, um, events I've been to have been larger. People have been uh, really giving a lot of thought to this, and they're telling pollsters they're much more likely to tell pollsters they're they're going to go caucus. So, in that sense, this 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 I think is different. Um, but of course, we're in a really different era at this point, and for Democrats, it feels very much like an existential crisis. And you hear candidates talking about that, and voters too. Um, so, you know, I don't right now, I have absolutely no idea what the outcome is going to look like. But I can tell you that I would be very surprised if the turnout's not significantly higher than it's ever been before. And I will be uh, uh, really surprised if um, this doesn't go down as you know, one of the. One of the more interesting Iowa caucuses in history.
0: Well, David, thank you so much for uh, you know sort of downloading your, your last six months. Uh, it, it sounds like uh, it was uh, a, a lot to take in. Uh, you were pretty excited about it uh, when we talked about it in August. Sounds like you're still pretty excited about it. Uh, and uh, I, I'm a lot more tired though. Jason. Yes. I'm a lot more tired. <laughs> well, you, you, I, I did. I, I have on my phone the uh, the weather app for for Des Moines, and I saw a couple of negative five days, and I thought. Oh boy. That's that's <laughs> There were a few. You know, that's not a fun <laughs> campaign day. <laughs> well, David, thank you so much for talking to us.
1: We're that place, good to talk to Bye-bye.
0: you. Thanks again for listening to Political Theater. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Join us uh, in the coming weeks as we download uh, all the information from the Iowa caucuses. We're also going to be talking about State of the Union. Uh, hey, there's a campaign season going on, impeachment trial. we got a lot that we're going to be looking at with political theater. So stay tuned, and we will catch you next time. Political Theater is produced by CQ Roll Call, leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.